The uh, reading this evening is from uh, Genesis chapter 2, which is on page 4, surprisingly enough, of the church Bibles. Uh, Genesis chapter 2, of course, comes immediately after Genesis chapter 1, in which uh, we read about the first six days of uh, creation. And it continues, thus... The heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created. When the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, and no shrub of the field had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no man to work the ground, but streams came up from the earth and watered the ground, watered the whole surface of the ground. The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. Now, the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden. And there he put the man he had formed. And the Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground. Trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A a river watering the garden flowed from Eden. From there it was separated into four headwaters. The name of the first is Pichon. It winds through the entire uh, land of Havilah, where there is gold. The gold of that land is good. Aromatic resin and onyx are there also. The name of the second river is the Gihon. It winds through the entire land of Cush. The name of the third river is the Tigris. It runs along the east side of the Ashur. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden. But you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will surely die. Well, why um, preach a sermon on leisure? What's that got to do with uh, my walk with God? Surely the the most important thing is that I'm working, I'm providing for my family. Uh, using my time productively, not wasting time. You know, as long as I'm coming to church, having my quiet time, 
surely that's all that matters, isn't it? After all, leisure, isn't it a very modern-day concept? Well, in many ways, yes, it is. I mean, the leisure industry is believed to have originated at the end of the uh, 19th century, when you had more efficient machinery, you had trade unions um, leading to a decrease in the working hours in the week, and uh, workers getting Saturdays off as well as Sundays. So we had the, the idea of a weekend. Then we had the arrival of railways. Workers from the cities were able to get out to the seaside, take a day off. Package holidays came about and the leisure industry was born. And if you look on the, the Graduate Careers website today under leisure, it says the sector is a high growth area, thanks largely to society's need for a healthier lifestyle, the perception of the need for a good work-life balance, and increased leisure time. Well, I suppose whether society's need for a healthier lifestyle is served by Club 18 to 30, Lager Louts and the Birdie Song in Ibiza is, is another question. And also whether there really is increased leisure time. Well, I remember when I graduated from university, ever since then, the media have been saying that we're going to be entering an age where we will all enjoy more leisure time. And yet it seems that people are working more hours today than they have ever before. So is the concept of leisure simply a, a modern-day phenomenon? Or is it a concept that we find in the Bible? Well, it might help, first of all, to try and agree what we mean by leisure. As Jackie said, what do you mean by leisure? Good sometimes to go to the Oxford English Dictionary. The um, definition that comes up in there is... Time spent in or free for relaxation or enjoyment. Time spent in or free for relaxation or enjoyment. In other words, time that is free from work and other obligations, such as household chores, things like washing the car, maybe ferrying the children around, maybe even attending those church committee meetings. They're an obligation. So those two key aspects of leisure, relaxation and enjoyment are actually quite important biblical principles. They're part of God's design for us as humans. And therefore, if we do ignore them, if we do abuse them, then we will be dishonouring God. So let's look at um, each one of them and see if we need to add anything else to that definition to make it a Christian definition of leisure. Well, let's start um, by that uh, passage where, uh, which um, Keith read out for us from Genesis 2. And look again at verse 2 of chapter 2 there. It says, By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he'd done. And if we were to go to Exodus 20, we see that this is the reason that God uses for the... um, For the fourth commandment there it says, Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labour and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your manservant or maidservant, nor your animals, nor the alien within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. 
But why did God rest on the Sabbath day, on the seventh day? Was it because he, he was a bit tired out, needed to recharge his batteries after all that, that work of creating he'd been busy doing? It couldn't be that, could it? Because, I mean, God is, is, is infinite. He has infinite sources of energy. He doesn't become tired like humans do. Now, the word rest here is really meaning ceasing from doing. In other words, he ceased from all the work uh, of creating. Now, he'd still be doing other stuff. After all, it says that God sustains the world. The world. So um, he would have had to have been doing something on that day to have kept the world going. But it was a principle he was establishing here for, in many ways, for our benefit. As Jesus said, you know, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Why was it for our benefit? Well, because as humans, our sources of energy are limited, aren't they? We, we cannot keep going without a break. It leads to burnout. It leads to, to breakdowns. However organised, however efficient we may be, however physically fit we may be, however many Duracell batteries we think we may be fitted with. We cannot keep on going without a break. And so God said, for our benefit, you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your manservant or maidservant. At the time God gave the commandments to Israel, they would have not had the the more clear distinction we have today between work and, and leisure. There wouldn't be the, the idea of going, going to work and, and coming back from work, the idea of commuting to work. And there would have been many chores that we take for granted today, which for them would have taken much longer, things like preparing meals, washing clothes. But the principle here was that God designed was that you need a rest from all those obligations. Of course, as with many things, that were designed for our good man, distorts them. So at the time, Jesus came to earth, there were a huge number of restrictions that had been dreamed up by, by Jewish leaders, such as how far you were able to walk, how much you could write, what you could carry. And it had become a legalistic righteousness, which prompted the Pharisees to criticise Jesus for healing on the Sabbath or for eating um, ears of corn. The original principle behind the commandment was that people need rest. And Jesus knew when his disciples needed a rest. It says in Mark 6, the apostles gathered round Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they didn't even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. We need rest, we need relaxation, R&R. But leisure is not just a question of finding time to have rest. It's also enjoying the things which God has blessed us in that time. Let's just uh, turn to um, a verse in 1 uh, Timothy, chapter 6. You'll find... uh, Towards the back of the Bible, page 1194 in the Church Bibles. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17. Says this Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God 
who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Various occasions I've mentioned uh, John Piper's works and his thesis, which in many ways is nothing new. It's simply taking the Puritan statement that the chief end of man, the purpose of man, is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And say, actually, the way we glorify God is, is by enjoying him. They're not separate activities. And when God placed Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, it was, it was for them to enjoy it. You know, if we turn back to that passage in chapter 2 of Genesis, um, it says there in, in verse 9, look at this, just the, the richness here of God's creation. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. It carries on later. A river watering the garden flowed from Eden. From there it was separated into four headwaters. Later it says, the gold of that land is good. Aromatic resin and onyx are also there. Have you ever thought why God would want to make such a a complex, such a a beautiful world? Why did he need to make so many trees and plants? I don't know whether how many species of tree you could name. Um, I think I probably wouldn't get much more than 20. Apparently there's over 100,000 different species of tree. Why make so many? Why not just produce trees that could produce fruit? After all, why do they have to be pleasing to the eye? Well, surely it's because God is an infinite God with infinite powers of creativity. And if he's to demonstrate his glory, then it's no wonder he gave us more than we could fully appreciate that we would never be able to stop being amazed at God's creation. It's not just the world around us that God wants us to enjoy, the beauty of nature, it's the the abilities that he has given people. To see what Ronaldinho can do with a football. A film like Slumdog Millionaire win win the Oscars. To hear as if play a concert like last night. Why did God give... These people such abilities. Was it not so that we can watch them or listen to them and actually praise God for his creativity? Why did God create so many different tastes if he didn't want us to enjoy them? Why did God create us with the ability to to enjoy social interaction if he didn't want us to enjoy spending time with our, our families and our friends? We were designed to enjoy life because God is the giver of life. It was he, it says here, who formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And if we think of Jesus' ministry, if we think of his life, during all the busy years of his ministry, he still found time to enjoy leisure. He spent a lot of time at dinner parties even inviting himself, gate-crashing parties, walked in the mountains, he sailed on the lake. He was a carpenter creating woodwork with his hands. And he, in his, his illustrations, he contemplated the beauty of nature. He said, consider how the lilies grow. They don't labour or spin, yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendour was dressed like one of these. So God has created us with a need for rest, And he's also created us to enjoy the world in which he's placed us. And as we do so, we glorify God. 
But there's another dimension to leisure, which doesn't really come up in that Oxford English Dictionary definition, and that is the need for spiritual refreshment. The fourth commandment actually starts, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. What does it mean to keep it holy? Well, to keep it holy is to to set it apart for special use, to, to treat it differently from other days, to not work on that day, to relax and to enjoy ourselves. That's, that's one way of treating it differently. But how else do we treat it differently? Because if we merely stopped working on, on Sundays, we wouldn't actually be any different from anybody else, would we? But as Christians, the the main way in which we can keep it special is to use it to focus on God, to recharge our spiritual batteries. Because although we're meant to honour and worship God every day with all of our lives, the the reality is that the the daily chores, the the, the loneliness of being a Christian in, in the workplace, the daily temptations, all of these things exert their, their pressure on us. And if we were to carry on battling our way through We would soon be disheartened, we'd soon be discouraged. And that is why when we come together on a Sunday, as we have this evening, as we were this morning, what we're doing, we're following the the exhortation that is in the Bible, it's in Hebrews, it says, let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. But is it just about Coming to church, is that all it's meant as we, we remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy? What about the rest of the day? How does that help your spiritual refreshment? Well, I think the, the best way of doing that, of, of spiritual refreshment on the, on the Sabbath day, on Sundays, as it is in the, the Christian um, week now, is by spending it with God's people. Spend it with your family. Invite others to, to join you for, for lunch. And don't get me wrong, it's important to have non-Christian friends. Not simply in order to try and convert them. It's, it's good to enjoy them. I enjoy playing, playing football with them. I enjoy going for a drink with them. It's a good way of relaxing. There's a very different experience from, for example, having a cricket match on the mat, on the wreck with the same people you've just been worshipping God with. Or having lunch with those you've just been spending time at church with. Again, worshipping God, those with whom you share a faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because one is relaxation and enjoyment, the other is relaxation, enjoyment and fellowship. And fellowship is sharing that faith with the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the same for our children. I think they also need spiritual refreshment. You know, let's face it, they spend most of the week at, at school you know, with other kids who you know, don't have any interest in Christianity. So I think uh, the temptation is if we start running them around on a Sunday as well, dropping them off at parties, for them, yes, it's rest and relaxation. But is it spiritual refreshment for them? So if these are reasons why it's so important to spend time resting, relaxing, being spiritually refreshed, where do we go wrong with our leisure? As with anything that's given for our pleasure, it does have the potential to be abused. 
Let's just mention three common, common mistakes we can make with our leisure. The first one of those is to have a sense of guilt about leisure. Now, we've seen how God placed Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden to enjoy the beauty of his creation under his loving rule. But what happened next? Let's just turn to chapter 3 of Genesis. See in verse 1 of chapter 3. The serpent, the devil, questions the woman. And he says to her, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Of course, he didn't say that at all. He said they were free to eat from any tree apart from one. But you see what is going on here? The devil is planting doubt in the mind of the woman here about God's generosity. He's giving her the impression that God is a spoil sport. He's withholding good things from her. He doesn't want her to enjoy herself. And the devil is still continuing with that ruse today, isn't he? By presenting God as a killjoy. You know, Christians are presented as those who don't know how to enjoy themselves, who, who worship a God who has designed a whole set of rules which are designed to prevent them from enjoying themselves. When actually, what he's doing is giving us quite wise constraints within which we can enjoy life to the full. A passage from 1 Timothy we looked at earlier reminded us that God richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. And to spurn that provision would be to dishonour him. So let's not feel guilty about enjoying our leisure time. How else do we get leisure wrong? Another way is that we're just simply too busy to enjoy God's gift of leisure. I don't know if you come across this book by uh, Tim Chester. It's called The Busy Christian's Guide to Busyness. I can re- recommend it for you busy people. Um, he opens the, the book by asking a few questions. Let me just ask a few of these to you now. Do you regularly work 30 minutes a day longer than your contracted hours? Do you check work emails and phone messages at home? Has anybody ever said to you, I didn't want to trouble you because I know how busy you are? Do your family or friends complain about not getting time with you? If tomorrow evening was unexpectedly freed up, would you use it to work or do a household chore? Do you often feel tired during the day or do you find your neck and shoulders aching? Do you often exceed the speed limit while driving? Do you make use of any flexible working arrangements offered by your employers? Do you pray with your children regularly? Do you have enough time to pray? Do you have a hobby in which you are actively involved? Do you eat together as a family or household at least once a day? And he says, if you mainly answered (coughs) yes to questions 1 to 7 and no to questions 8 to 12, then maybe you have a busyness problem. If we are too busy for any of the three purposes of leisure that we mentioned, of, of rest, of enjoyment, of spiritual refreshment, then we're dishonouring God. And I'd probably be the first to put up my hand and say, yes, I am guilty. I have got a problem with busyness or hurry sickness, as he also calls it. Hurry sickness is when you're irritated because there's a queue at the supermarket checkout, not that I find myself in the supermarket very often, um, or at the petrol station, or because somebody in front of you is dawdling, they're driving too slowly, or somebody just takes too long to get to the point of what they're trying to say. 
Why do I get in the church to drive? Why do I get in the car to drive to church? Because that saves me half an hour there and back. And that's, that's a valuable half an hour. Time is money. After all, the church is paying me to get, make good use of that half an hour. Think what I could do in that half an hour. If that describes you, I wonder if you have ever asked yourself the question, why am I so busy? Why am I so busy? In his book, Tim Chester identifies some possible reasons. <clears throat> For example, because I need to prove myself. Because otherwise, things get out of control. Because of other people's expectations. Because I need the money. Not sure the last one is the reason for me. I think although compared to Sir Fred's pension, the benefits in this job are out of this world, as the old Jake goes. But, um, but I'm sure there's something in all of those other ones in my busyness. <clears throat> and I wonder if that's the same for you too. Are we too busy to enjoy leisure? Let's not reject God's good gift of leisure by being too busy to enjoy it. And a third third problem with our leisure is maybe that we make leisure our idol. You know, we said we glorify God by enjoying him, which means that as we enjoy his blessings, it should bring us closer to God. Whether it's walking in the mountains, enjoying a nice meal, hopefully we will praise God for that enjoyable moment. But when we enjoy things for their own sake, when we seek enjoyment without an acknowledgement that God has provided that enjoyment, then it becomes self-seeking. Then the pleasure becomes the God. And that is basically what the world has done, isn't it? It's taken all the good things that God has provided and enjoyed them, but not acknowledged that God is the one He's provided them. God has given us sex to enjoy within a faithful, God-centred marriage. He's given us food to enjoy whilst commanding us to take care of our bodies. He's given us drink to enjoy whilst telling us to avoid drunkenness. But when we take those things out of the God-given context, when we make idols of them, then it soon leads to adultery, it soon leads to eating disorders, it soon leads to alcoholism. God warns us about falling into that trap. Proverbs 21 says, He who loves pleasure will become poor. Whoever loves wine and oil will never be rich. And you may say, well, that's not me. But what do you spend your your time thinking about? Is it the leisure activity itself you're looking forward to doing? Or is it the God who graciously provided it? When you go on holiday, do you see it as time off from God? When you, you don't need to do your normal quiet time? Or do you see it as a time when actually you can get closer to God because you're free from all your normal obligations? The issue of leisure becoming an idol is also a, a real challenge for those in retirement. We were hearing from Chris earlier on. And the temptation may be to see retirement as full-time rest. You know, you worked all your life. Now you can just enjoy yourself on the golf course or lunching at your favourite restaurant. But to answer Chris's question, the Bible doesn't really have this concept of retirement. People carried on serving and living until they died. 
They may have brought on new leaders, they may have delegated more, they may have stepped back from many of their responsibilities as uh, um, their, their, their faculties began to slow down. There wasn't this sudden cut-off date when everything stopped. And it's great to see in this church so many retired people still very active. It's great to see people thinking, I'm no longer in full-time employment, but therefore I'm now freed up to, to help out more in the church, to help out more with my family, to to help out more in the community. By doing those things, you can avoid falling into the trap of seeing retirement simply as leisure. We're meant to glorify God in all that we do, and that includes the way we spend our leisure time and the activities we pursue. I think simply to say that um, that's my way of unwinding, I need some light entertainment, maybe... It is dishonouring to God if it's something that you wouldn't normally do. And that includes things we watch on TV, other things we do. Are they honouring to God? Are we just using them as an excuse for unwinding? Well, as we come to the end, let me just um, leave you with a couple of questions. And just want to ask you, how much time do you have for rest, for enjoyment, to spend on your relationship with God? If that time has been squeezed out of your week, then why don't you find ways to cut down on your existing obligations and to enjoy God and his blessings. Enjoy the people he's put in your life. If your life has become dominated by leisure, then cut down on some of those wasteful activities. Think about taking on more responsibilities. Discover the joy of service. But at the end of the day, it's not simply a question of doing more or doing less if we haven't addressed the issue of where we find our satisfaction. Is it in what we do or is it in knowing that we are loved by God? There is a longing in all of us for, for satisfaction. It's in search of that satisfaction that we indulge in all sorts of activities. It's why people keep moving jobs and homes and and partners. It's not until we put our hope in God that we will truly be able to enjoy everything as gifts from him. And even as Christians who, let's face it, are often busier than, than most, we also need to be reminded that our ability to enjoy God's blessings depends on how much we put our faith in him. The greater our faith, the less we need to worry about things getting out of control. The greater our faith, the less we need to worry about other people's expectations. The less we need to worry about proving ourselves. In short, the less we need to be busy. And the more, instead, we can concentrate on enjoying God. Finish with those words again from from 1 Timothy. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment.